We are in the Joshua series, and that's something that we've been going on for a few weeks now. We're following the life of Joshua from the time where Moses died and he took over to when they come into the promised land. Um, I've been focusing on it a few weeks when we talk, after we talked about Moses, and we're almost to the point. We are basically at that point where they enter the promised land and they start conquering enemies and defeating people and things like that. I have the exciting job of talking about Jericho and the Battle of Jericho. We all like wars. No matter if you want to admit it or not, we all like wars. We all like battles. We all like that kind of stuff, right? War movies, action movies, all that's fun. All that's well and good. I think it starts from a really young age, actually. I'm a history teacher. I teach sixth grade. And one of the first things I ask my kids is, what's your favorite part in history? And most of them just stare at me blankly. But the few that do say something, they're like, yeah, yeah, I love like, like World War I and World War II. And there's all this like the guns and, and people and, you know, and all this cool stuff. And they have these awesome weapons. I'm like, need to watch out for you, but okay. Um, but I think this is something that we inherently just enjoy. It's something cool. It's something interesting. It's something that actually is somewhat like when you think about it, it's like, oh, that's actually really cool how that happened. Or that's really interesting how that happened. When you look at battle plans and you think about like different tactics and stuff like that. Well, I can guarantee you the tactic that we are going to talk about that the Israelites used to conquer Jericho did not happen successfully in any other war. I can almost promise you that. I know a decent amount of history, but I can almost guarantee you that nothing like this has ever happened. We're going to be in Joshua 6, if you want to go ahead and get there. We have it on the screens for you as well, in case you um, forgot your Bible or anything like that, or you may just not be able to keep up with me. If that's the case, I apologize. I'll try to slow down. But we are going to be in Joshua 6, and let's start just really quick with verses 1 through 2, because this is going to be a sort of recap of the few weeks before that we've talked about. So Joshua 6.1 says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and fighting men. All right, let's pause right there. Last week, Pastor Frank talked about before they were to take Jericho and before they were to go in this city, they had to consecrate themselves. They had to make themselves clean. They had to make themselves pure. And um, they crossed through the Jordan River. God parted the Jordan and they were able to walk across it. And then they were to go consecrate themselves for this upcoming battle. So that's the scene here. The scene is the Israelites were, they had already crossed in the Jordan and they were ready to go. And, um, we had already sent spies. Joshua had already sent spies out there to say, okay, this is what we need to do. Here's the city. Here's Jericho. It's got these massive walls and everything like that. So this was them finally starting to say, all right, let's make a move on Jericho and let's start this expedition. Let's start this battle, right? Well, as they're approaching, the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. That is a recap of a few weeks ago when the spies went into Jericho. They already knew the people were afraid of them. These people in Jericho were already afraid of Joshua and the Israelites. They had heard of all the awesome things God had done for them, all the stuff they had done leading up to this point, and Jericho was scared to death of them. They were worried. They were concerned. They were like, ah, these people, man, we, we can't do anything with these people. 
That's why it says the walls and the gates to the city were shut. It wasn't because they were, you know, trying to, you know, keep them from, keep the Israelites from coming in. They were almost like locking themselves inside because they were scared. They were like, we can't go against these people. There's no way. They were already scared. Their mindset was already, hey, we're going to be defeated. We're not going to be able to handle this. And from personal experience, when you already have that mindset, you, you pretty much already lost. Whenever you go into something with the mindset, hey, this isn't going to go well for me. You've basically already lost the battle. The mind is a super powerful thing. The mind is something that like if you have your heart or your mind set on something, more or less, it's probably going to happen. But if you also, it works in the same way. If you have your mind set on, dude, I'm going into this and I'm going to lose. You're probably going to lose because you already know that that's what's going to happen, right? The most, um, the biggest example I have for this is um, in baseball. I played baseball my whole life. For some reason, I had this fear of, um, I I was a pitcher, by the way. That's all I knew how to do. I didn't know how to do anything else. Um, I was a pitcher. And... I had this abnormal fear of when the batter would get like too close to the box, like too close to the plate, and he would like crowd it, that I was going to hit him. That I was just going to like hit him in the shoulder, hit him in the head, or just hit him. I was scared to death when these batters would get in the box and they would like crowd on top of the plate like this, because I was like, I, I, I'm going to hit this guy. I can't throw it in there. I just had this weird fear of that. So whenever a batter got up to the plate and he was already like this, I was just standing up there on the mound. I was like, I'm going to hit this man. And most of the time I did because I had the mindset of knowing I can't throw it where I'm not going to hit this guy, which is dumb because if the batter was back here, I could throw it over the plate, no problem. But from there to there, leaning like this somehow made a huge difference in my mind. We get these sort of things ingrained in our brain and it's like we come up in approaching something with the mindset that we're going to lose that we're going to do awful that we're not going to succeed and when that happens we've already lost the battle or war or whatever it is that we're doing whenever a batter would get into the box and crowd the plate like that and I was there pitching I had already lost that at bat one of two things was going to happen I was either going to hit him on the first pitch or I was going to throw so far outside that I'd walk him on four straight pitches and they would be like way up here, something he wouldn't even attempt to swing at because I was too scared to hit him. When we approach things in our life with that mentality of that mindset that we're scared or that we're afraid, usually our worst fear, what we're thinking usually happens, usually comes true. That's what happened here for the Israelites and the people of Jericho. That's why in verse two, it says, the Lord said, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands because they were already scared. They already had the mindset of, hey, we're going to lose. And God is saying, look, Joshua, they're already scared of you. They already know they're going to lose. All you have to do is take them over. They're, They're ready to lose. They have the mindset of they are ready to lose at this point. So I think that's important to point out in these first two verses, because to me, if you read that without kind of knowing that mindset or that fear that they had, you would say, well, how is Jericho already delivered into my hands when they have these huge, massive walls? That that seems kind of difficult to me. And for Joshua, I'm sure that seemed difficult. But with them already being ready to lose, they were already defeated. 
So I think that's important to point out before we even get close to moving on is that the, these people of Jericho already had the mindset of they were defeated, which made the Israelites and Joshua's job just a little bit easier. So let's move on to verse three and let's read about his battle plan, his tactics, and we'll compare and see if they use this in World War I or World War II. Here we go. Joshua 6, 3. Here's what he said to Joshua. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up everyone straight in. What a pretty unconventional plan, if you ask me. I've studied a lot of history. I've watched a lot of war documentaries, probably everyone on Netflix, and I have never seen a battle tactic like that. I've never seen a battle tactic like that take place, even attempt to be successful, nothing. I've never seen anything like that. So can you imagine the mindset of these soldiers? Can you imagine the mindset of this Israelite army when Joshua says to them, all right, guys, he gets them all in a huddle, and he says, here's the plan. We're going to march around the city, and then we're going to go home. What? What do, you, what do you mean we're going to march around the city and go, I'm in the army, man. I'm here to, like, kill people. I'm here to defeat people. I'm here to take people over. I'm not, I didn't sign up to, like, run the Peachtree Road Race around the city. I signed up to be in the army. What do you mean we're going to walk around the city? But that's what they did. They did it for six days. And then like God said, on the seventh day, the walls would fall. Here's what's interesting about this story. If you just, if you dig in and you really read it and you read it for what the Bible doesn't say, what the Bible doesn't say is that Joshua never told the people the plan. The jo Joshua never told the people, hey, we're gonna do this six days. And then on the seventh day, the walls are gonna fall. Joshua never told the people that. What Joshua did is every day he would wake up and he would tell the army, hey, let's go do a lap, then go home. Hey, next day, let's go do a lap, then let's go home. Next day, let's do a lap, let's go home. Can you imagine the mindset of these soldiers? They were probably questioning Joshua a little bit, their leader. I know I sure as heck would be. I'm like, dude, we're, we're trying to win. What you mean we're just going to walk around the city and then go home? I would be questioning Joshua, especially like day five and six when we're like, dude, what are we doing, man? Six days we've been doing this. Nothing's happening. We're seeing no progress. We're seeing nothing happen. I probably would have quit after day six, just being honest. I'm like, Joshua, you are dumb. You don't know anything. What are you doing, man? I'd be saying, I want Moses back, if you ask me. But Joshua knew what he was doing by not telling the people. He wanted to see if the people had enough faith to trust in what he was doing as their leader. And I often wonder, what would have happened if the soldiers would have given up on day six and not ever had that day seven where the walls fell down? What would have happened? It probably would have never went into Jericho probably would have never went to the promised land. What would have happened? What would have happened if they would have stopped on six 
instead of going one more to seven, even though they saw no progress. Because see, if it were me and if I were God, what I would do is if these really high walls, every time you marched around it, the walls would go down a little bit. That way I could see some progress. Like the old game of Tetris, right? Whenever you do like a little, like a little row, like it, boop, boop, it like goes down, right? So I could see progress. That's not what God did. God made them march around six times seeing no progress to see if they would have the faith to keep going and trust in what they said and to trust in their leader. Because they didn't know that eventually they would be successful if they just obeyed. He wanted to see, and Joshua wanted to see if the people would stop short of their goal. Joshua wanted to see if the people would give up hope and faith and belief and stop short of their goal, if they would stop on six. And that makes me wonder, how many of us do that in our daily lives? How many of us stop short? How many of us stop on six and don't ever make it to seven? How many of us stop short of what we're about to accomplish right on the other side is victory, but we give up because we're seeing no progress? Whether that be in your job, maybe you've been working your butt off for years and that promotion's right around the corner. You just can't see it, but you give up. But you give up and that never happens because you quit. How many people, you know, students, baseball players, athletes, football players, whatever, how many of you play and play and play and you just don't get recognized by the coach in practice and you just give up when maybe that next week you're in the starting lineup, but you quit and you give up because you're seeing no progress. You got to have faith. You got to believe because God has something greater for you. I promise he does. The Bible promises that we does. Don't take my word for it. Take the Bible's word for it. He has great stuff for us. We just have to have the perseverance and the faith and determination to believe and make it happen even when progress doesn't really seem like it's happening. And I think that is a beautiful picture of Jericho. Jericho paints that illustration perfectly of the fact that you have to keep going. You have to push on. Do not stop on six. You can't do it. Because God, you'll be missing out on what God's plan has for you. And because they didn't stop, because they kept going, because they pressed on, because they went around this last time on the seventh time, and the, I mean, on the seventh day, and they marched around seven times, the walls fell down. And then I can just imagine the soldiers just staring there like, what just happened? Because they didn't do anything. They didn't have to do anything. God did all of it. God did every single bit of it. These soldiers just walked around and then the walls just fell. If I was a soldier, I'd just be like standing there looking like, what just happened? And sometimes I think, I think God, see, God's not always exactly efficient. He's a lot of things. Efficient, I wouldn't really use a word to describe him because sometimes he'll make you walk around your problem six times just so on the last time that you do it, you'll know that it wasn't anything you did. It was all him. I think sometimes he'll make you walk around seeing nothing, 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 nothing. But then the last time he'll be like, all right, let's do it. And then it happens just so you know, you didn't do anything different. It was all him. Because you had the faith and determination to believe. God's not exactly efficient, but he is good. And he does fulfill his promises. 
Sometimes it's just maybe not in the time frame we would like. But just like in Jericho, he's doing it to show, hey, trust me, believe in me, have faith in me. I promise I got you. You just have to obey. You just have to do what I'm asking you to do. Please don't give up because I promise you I will take care of you. And that's what we see in Joshua um, 15 through 19. We see the result. It said on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests surrounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Let's just stop right there for a second. So see, the walls fell. They obeyed. And look what happened. They made it in. The walls fell and shout for the Lord has given you the city. But the Lord fulfilled his promise. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. They just had to be obedient. 17, verse 17. The city and all that in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. If you remember two weeks ago, we talked about the promise Rahab made um, or the promise God made with Rahab because she housed the spies that went in to search Jericho. She said, hey, if I don't tell anybody you're here, you have to promise when you take over the city to save me and my family. And the spies and God said, yes, we will. So notice God keeps his promises. He promised Rahab that he would take care of her and her family, and he did. Everything in it are to be devoted to the Lord and destroyed except for Rahab and all who are in her house. Verse 18, but... God said, keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring destruction, but not bring upon your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and articles of, the Lord, and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So they finish that battle of Jericho. I wouldn't really call it a battle, um, but they finish it and then they go in and then the Lord says, okay, aside from Rahab and her family, you can kill everybody else, get them out because this is my city. However, you have to, you can take nothing. All of this is to be devoted to me. This is the Lord's, this is God's. And the Bible doesn't say this, but when I read this, it makes me think of, this is almost how I feel and how I read it, almost like a tithe, sort of, if you think about it, right? This is the first city that Joshua has taken over, that the Lord has given them in the promised land. And the Bible commands us, hey, give your first fruits to God. Well, this is kind of like their first fruits, right? It's the first city God's taken from them. So he's saying, hey, because this, I'm helping you, this is mine. This, this is the first fruits. This is my tithe. This is your tithe to me. Don't take anything out of this. This is mine. But then once we move on, yeah, then you can, you know, take the rest. But I want the first part. So that's how I think of this. That's why, and I never, I could never really understand why God was like, all right, I let you have the city, but don't take anything. Just leave it. And the more I thought and prayed, I think it's almost, it was their tithe to God for being faithful, right? It's there, it's a sign of them saying, hey, God, thank you. We trust you. We believe you. Because he doesn't really say that for the rest of the cities they take over. So everything's all good. They're wonderful. They just defeated Jericho. They're on this awesome high. They're like, yeah, yeah, look what we did. Look what God did for us. We're awesome. We're going to take over the entire place. It's going to be great. Well, let's move on to Joshua 7.1. But 
The Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Uh-oh, now there's trouble in paradise, right? Everything was so great. They were riding this awesome high. They had taken this city. They were ready to go. But there's always one. There's always something, right? There is always something going on. I tell my sixth graders that all the time. We could, they could be awesome. They could be doing great. And then they'll come up to complain about me. I'm like, it's always something with you, isn't it? It's always something. They could just do this awesome thing. They're like, oh, Mr. Grant, he took my pencil. It's always something with you, isn't it? Come on, get together. Always something. Always something with these Israelites, right? Achan was unfaithful in the regard to the devoted things. Uh-oh, that's not good. Let's read what happens. 7-2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. So Joshua is following the same battle tactics that he did at Jericho. He's sending spies to go scout out the next city. He said, hey, it worked the first time. Let's do it again. So he said, hey, we've conquered this city. We're going to move to the next one. I'm going to take you spies. Go check it out and come back and tell me what you found. So they went up and spied it out. When they returned in verse three, they said, not all the army will have to go up. Send two or 3,000 men to take it and do not weary the whole army for only a few thousand people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Now, I was a really small town. Um, it was, the, the spy said it. They said, look, there's not many people there. We don't need to send the whole army. Now, I don't really know if it's like, maybe they were kind of cocky, right? Maybe they oh, look, we just did. We don't need the whole army. This is a small city. We don't need him. But it was a small city. It was a small town. Um, they probably didn't even have a street light. It was probably just a stop sign. They probably didn't have a McDonald's or a Dollar General even. So it was really tiny. Um, they might've had like a gas station. I don't really know um, where you fill up your camel, I guess. Um, but it was really small. So they said, don't worry about sending all those people. It's totally fine. It's not even a big deal. Well, Joshua sent them and the Bible says they routed them. I love that word. I love that word routed. It makes me think of like uh, when you read like sports headlines, like college football, when somebody wins by like 50 points, it's like these, this team routed this team. I'm like, yes, yes, that's awesome. So it makes me happy when they use that in the Bible. Cause it makes, I don't know. It just makes me feel good. Anyway, it just, it, it gives me this picture in the Bible of like this I army just absolutely totally obliterating these guys. Right because that's what the word routed means to me. Like these team won by like 50 points, right? So I won by like 50 points. Actually, I guess it'd be 36 because 36 people died, but I don't want to make jokes about people dying. Sorry. Um, anyway, told you I'm all over the place. All right, let's get back on track here. So here's what happened. They didn't necessarily conquer I, not because, I don't think it was because they were cocky, but it was because of the sin, right? We, we talked about Achan. We talked about how Achan's sin angered God. We talked about how 
because the Israelites were unfaithful to what God said, now they're here, they're trying to defeat I, and nothing's happening. Because God's anger burned against the Israelites. And what this shows me is that without God's power, absolutely nothing is possible. Without God's backing, without God's divine intervention, even the easy, even the seemingly like possible, like stuff that should happen, you can fail. There's absolutely no reason on this earth why the Israelites should not have defeated I. But because God was not backing them, because God's anger burned against them, because they didn't have God's backing and blessing for that, they failed. So what this is a constant reminder to me of is without God's blessing, and without God's power, you can do nothing. We can do nothing without the backing from God. Even something that should be totally easy, we can't do it. Without God's intervention, we cannot do anything. And Joshua recognized this, obviously, because when all those, 30, when all those 36 men died and all those people came back, Joshua prays, he falls down on his knees and he has a little prayer meeting with God. And he's like, God, why are, what's going on? You promised you would, you know, defeat our enemies for us. You promised that this would happen. You promised that this was gonna, you know, we were gonna succeed and we're failing. God, why are you doing this? Let's read God's response in Joshua 7, verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel have sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded to keep them. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. I love God's response. Can we go back to verse 10? Just, I want to make sure you get it. The Lord said to Joshua, bro, stand up. What you doing? This isn't me. Israel has sinned. Don't you come complaining to me. This is your problem. This is not my problem. It's some of your people have not done what I commanded them to do. So don't come praying to me and saying, why God, why God, why are you doing this to us? It's not me. It's your people. Stand up, do something about it. Because I'm not gonna be with you until you fix the problem. Until you figure out, hey, who's stealing? Who's lying? Who has those devoted things that I told you were mine? I can't be with you anymore. God's telling Joshua, man, be a leader. Step up. This, these are your people. This is your people that you are leading. Fix the issue. And I love that response from God. Because how often do we get on our knees and we pray, God, why are you doing this to me? But the problem is we don't want to look at ourselves. We don't want to look at what we're doing. We want to say, God, this is your problem. Why are you not helping me? When God is trying to tell us, man, this is you. This is all you. And I am guilty of this too, because I'll be praying and I'll be like, God, man, what's going on? 
I just, I don't feel, you know, your, your blessings anymore. Like, I don't feel like you're with me anymore. What's going on? And then I stop praying and I'm like, oh, because I'm doing this. That's why. And I love that God responds that way by saying, look, I promise to be with you as long as you do what I've asked you to do. But right now you're not. And I know that's it. I know that's at least one person in this room because it's me. <laughs> and I'm sure there's others, but that one person is at least me. I am guilty of asking God why when it's all on me. I won't look at my own sin. I won't look at my own lies. I won't look at my own destruction that I've brought upon myself. I'm too busy blaming God for my issues. So Joshua, or so the Lord is telling Joshua, look, man, stop blaming me and fix the problem. Stop blaming me and fix the problem. So just in, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read you um, what happens. I'm going to just do a quick Spark Notes recap real quick because the rest of the passage kind of talks about what happens. So Joshua decides to take God's advice, and he says, all right, so the next day, he lines up all the tribes of Israel. There's 12 of them. He lines them all up. He orders them by family, orders them by, like, in order of family members. So he's got, like... I think Pastor Frank said last week, there's like 2 million of these guys. So it's a huge camp meeting, apparently. Lines them all up, and he says, all right, I'm going to call each family and each person out one by one until I find out who is sinning and who has taken something they should not have taken. That would have taken all day, probably longer than that. But luckily for Joshua, God was kind of behind the scenes, like telling him, hey, I know who it is. I, I can help you. So... Joshua picks out his tribe. He's like, I want, let's, let's start with this tribe over here. And he says, all right, I want this family. Family, come here. So he takes the family right here. And then he says, all right, you, I want you. And it's Achan, the guy that we learned in verse one. It says, Achan, basically he asks him, what have you done? Have you taken anything you shouldn't have taken? Have you, you know, sinned or have you lied or anything like that? Basically asking him, hey, have you done anything? And Achan admits it. He says, yeah, I, I, I took some stuff. I'm sorry. I, I took some gold. I took a robe that I shouldn't have taken and I buried it and hid it underneath my tent so nobody would know that I took it. It's in my tent right now. So Joshua sends people to go, go to his tent, dig it up, and there it all is. He had it hidden underneath his tent, underneath, among his other things, so nobody would recognize it. So the Bible says what happened, and it's actually really sad, that Joshua and the people took Achan, took his entire family, everything he owned, and took them outside of, into a valley and killed them all. Killed all of their family, killed all of his family, destroyed all of his stuff, and basically wiped him from, from the Israel, really. And that's harsh. But here's the point. Your sin, and this is the biggest point that I want you to understand today. Your sin does not just affect you. Your problem does not just affect you. Even if you feel like it does because you're doing something alone by yourself in the dark and you're just like, no, only I know about this. This is, this is my skeleton in my closet. Nobody else knows. It's not affecting anybody else. Can I tell you something? If it's not right now, it will. 
Maybe you're doing something right now and you're single and, you know, a few years from now that comes out and it affects your relationship. You're affecting other people. Maybe you are married and you're in a relationship right now and you're doing something that maybe your significant other doesn't know about, but when it comes out, it'll affect your entire family. As much as Achan thought he could hide his sin, eventually it got found out and his entire family was killed because of his sin. And that's another thing, by the way, you can't hide your sin from God. You just can't do it. Achan thought if he buried all of that stuff in his tent amongst his other things, nobody, nobody would know. You can't, you can't hide your sin. I'm sorry. You can't do it. God knows. So don't try to hide it. Eventually, it will always come back to affect not just you, but your entire family. And if we're honest, most of us probably have Achan's mentality. Most of us go around thinking, hey, nobody's going to know if I do this. Nobody's going to know if I'm at work and I'm closing and I take some money out of the cash register and I fudge some numbers. Nobody will know. This is uh, maybe, you know, my wife will never know if this is just, you know, I'm hanging out with somebody at work. It's, it's work. She'll never know. It doesn't affect me. Or I mean, it doesn't affect her. It's just, it's just me. A lot of us have that aching mentality me included. So I want to ask you today as we close, what, what is that thing that you're trying to hide from God? What is that thing that you keep praying, God, why won't you bless me? God, why have you disappeared from my life? God, where are you? When you've got something buried in your own tent. So I want to ask you, what is it? And maybe you don't have anything right now. And if that's the case, awesome. Great. I'm, I'm, trust me, I am super glad for you. I promise, because that is awesome. But for most of us, myself included, I have the wrong mentality about this. I continue to ask God, hey, please help me. Please bless me. God, where are you? And he says, Bro, look in your own tent. So as we close, I want to pray real quick. And as we do this, I want you to just think and reflect on what, what is it that God wants you to see? What is it that's in your tent? Dear Lord, I just, I, I thank you for this awesome, wonderful glorious day that you have given us today, God. And I just, as we sit here, God, I I just want to reflect on what is it? What is it that we're doing, God? Aiken sin, it sounds so awful and it is awful, God, but so many of us do it on a daily basis. So many of us take for granted the things that you give us and the, 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 the things that you have us obey to worship you, God, and, and we take advantage of it. We don't want to deal with it. We say, well, nobody will ever know. We try to hide it from you, God. God, I, I'm, I'm begging you. I'm praying. I'm pleading with you, God. Please let us check what's in our own hearts. Please, God, let us check what's in our own tent so that way we can not affect the people around us because it will. 
And I pray, God, that if anybody is here and they have that and it's affecting their family, it's affecting somebody else, or even if it's just affecting them, God, they'll find somebody, whether it's me or somebody else, God, that you, that you, you just lift that burden from them. You just lift that burden from them and help them talk to somebody about it, God, because it's so important to not carry this alone. I pray that you be with us as we go throughout the rest of this week, God, and just whatever it is, I pray that we search. I pray that we look. I pray that we try to find out, God, God, what is preventing us from taking that next step? What is preventing us from going to where you want us to go, God? Please don't let us be satisfied with no progress and stopping short on six, God. Please help us to have that faith and belief and trust to take it that next step. And what is it that's preventing us from doing that? I pray that you help us find that this week, God, or just anytime that happens, God, that we, that we look to ourselves first that we look to ourselves and think, God, what am I doing? <coughs> How can I help myself? That way you won't turn your back on me. You won't be angry with me anymore. I pray all these things in your name, amen. Guys, listen, please, 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 I'm begging you, find somebody, it, it, whatever that looks like. It's so much better if you share it with somebody. It really is. Don't hold and cast this burden upon yourself. Search yourself and then let somebody help you. You can't do it on your own. I promise. Please, whether it be me, Pastor Frank, anybody, talk to somebody. Thank you guys so much.